The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution. Book 1, The Feast of Pikes. Chapter 9, Symbolic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 1, Chapter 9, Symbolic. How natural, in all decisive circumstances, is symbolic representation to all kinds of men. Nay, what is man's whole terrestrial life but a symbolic representation and making visible of the celestial invisible force that is in him? By act and word he strives to do it, with sincerity if possible, failing that with theatricality, which latter also may have its meaning. An Max masquerade is not nothing. In more genial ages, your Christmas guisings, feasts of the ass, abbots of unreason, were a considerable something. Since sport they were, as Almacs may still be sincere wish for sport. But what, on the other hand, must not sincere earnest have been, say, a Hebrew feast of tabernacles have been? A whole nation gathered in the name of the highest, under the eye of the highest, Imagination herself flagging under the reality, and all noblest ceremony as yet not grown ceremonial but solemn, significant to the outmost fringe. Neither in modern private life are theatrical scenes, of tearful women wetting whole elves of cambric in concert, of impassioned bushy-whiskered youth threatening suicide and such like, to be so entirely detested. Drop thou a tear over them thyself, rather. At any rate, one can remark that no nation will throw by its work and deliberately go out to make a scene without meaning something thereby. For indeed, no scenic individual with knavish hypocritical views will take the trouble to soliloquise a scene. And now consider, is not a scenic nation placed precisely in that predicament of soliloquising for its own behoof alone to solace its own sensibilities, maudlin or other? Yet in this respect of readiness for scenes, the difference of nations as of men is very great. If our Saxon Puritanic friends, for example, swore and signed their national covenant without discharge of gunpowder or the beating of any drum in a dingy covenant close of the Edinburgh High Street in a mean room where men now drink mean liquor, it was consistent with their ways so to swear it. Our Gallic encyclopedic friends, again, must have a champ de Mars scene of all the world, of universe, and such a scenic exhibition to which the Colosseum Amphitheatre was but a stroller's barn, as this old globe of ours had never or hardly ever beheld. Which method also we reckon natural, then and there. Nor perhaps was the respective keeping of these two oaths far out of due proportion to such respective display in taking them, inverse proportion, namely. For the theatricality of a people goes in compound ratio, ratio indeed of their trustfulness, sociability, fervency, but then also of their excitability, of their porosity, not continent, or say of their explosiveness, hot flashing, but which does not last. How true also, once more, is it that no man or nation of men, conscious of doing a great thing, was ever in that thing doing other than a small one. O Champ de Mars Federation, with three hundred drummers, twelve hundred wind musicians and artillery planted on height after height to boom the tidings of it all over France in few minutes, 
Could no atheist nation contrive to discern, eighteen centuries off, those thirteen most poor, mean-dressed men at frugal supper in a mean Jewish dwelling, with no symbol but hearts God-initiated into the divine depth of sorrow, and to do this in remembrance of me? And so cease that small, difficult crowing of his, if he were not doomed to it. End of Book One, Chapter Nine